Hello? Hey, Yes. Hey, this is Io, Rebecca Wright's kid. Wow, I can't believe you called. Uh, Just one second. Sure. So basically, they could have been here from like uh, September. For the past few months, I've been looking into the murder of Billy Balls, the love of my mom's life. I've nailed down some of his history, and I've heard my mom's version of what happened to him. But I want some more perspectives. So I'm getting in touch with other people who were close to them. I gotta take this phone call. I can't believe it. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. How are you? I'm really bad in some This ways. is an old friend of my mom's. We're calling her so Natasha. We haven't spoken since I was a little kid. I hope you're not calling about Rebecca. No, it, no. <laughs> is she okay? She's fine. She's fine. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm calling because I'm making a podcast trying to figure out what the fuck happened to Billy Balls. Oh, really? Okay, I have a theory on it because I was around at that time. And I don't know if I really want to say that. I mean, basically, he. What? Wait. <laughs> this is. No, oh my God. She didn't hang up. Oh, fuck me. It's like a moment in a movie where, like, the person who did it was. Hello? Hey, sorry, I don't know what happened. Um, see, I, I don't know if I really feel comfortable telling the story. Like, I don't think I... Yeah. I mean, my version of the story, I don't know, is, is maybe different than Rebecca's, but I would rather do it in person. He wasn't innocent. He was not innocent. Today on the show... A few theories about how a darker side of Billy may have led to his death. From Crime Town, I'm Io Tillett Wright, and this is the Ballad of Billy Ball. And it says William Heitzman is shot five times. Any impression of who had shot him? An undercover cop. The dude that shot him came to the hospital and said to him, if it was up to me, you wouldn't be in here. Chapter 4. Get in the Wind. Natasha left us with a cliffhanger that she wanted to discuss in person. So my producer Austin and I went up to her apartment on the Upper East Side. So uh, my first question is, like, kind of when you met Billy, like, describe Billy for me as a person. Well, he was an original for sure. He wore a hat, usually a black hat, and he wore white socks with black shoes, and uh, he was skinny had a lot of energy. He had a great voice. And I thought he wrote amazing lyrics, like, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. He had a sense of humor to him. And I also know he really loved uh, Rebecca. That I could tell. 
Natasha remembers Billy's tenderness toward my mom. When she would be doing her exercises back, like where her abdomen was stretched out and she was weight, she was weightlifting, he would like go after her stomach, like and get out of here, you know, like cut that out, you know. He would always like he was like a prankster. He was like a dark-haired Dennis the Menace in a way. And I thought Billy was extremely talented. In the early 80s, Natasha was experimenting with a music career. And I was working with Billy. I used to pay him to work with him. I would go to the basement and he would play the piano and I would do some singing and um, try to write songs with him. The basement of the storefront. Yeah. But Natasha didn't have a ton of musical experience. I didn't even know where what's called one is, like in the like when you're supposed to start a song. And when he tried to create songs with me, he couldn't understand why I didn't know where one was. Walk me through that whole situation. And then Natasha started to tell us her theory about why Billy was killed. It's a crazy saga that she says began with a wealthy international diplomat. I was uh, asked to get dope for a very wealthy politician. You know, politicians and princes and all those people did drugs like anybody else did. This person was a very heavy partier and would have these really big extravagant orgies and nothing like dropping $100,000 in one night. This person was a cocaine um, freak, and they wanted to try something different. So I recommended heroin. <laughs> and? And that's how I got Billy to score for me. So I was more like a Christian Dior. So Billy and Natasha met up to go buy the drugs, but the only problem was she showed up in a fur coat. coat. I remember Billy saying, rolling his eyes and going, I can't believe you. I guess I looked suspicious that they thought I was an undercover cop. Billy took her anyway. They went to Alphabet City, where they got in line. An actual line of people to buy heroin. Then, drugs in hand, she headed to the airport. So I went on a plane and I, you know, I went to a foreign country. To meet that uh, diplomat who was planning an international orgy. And Natasha says, when you get invited to an international orgy, you go. It was sort of like Caligula. People having sex. Men and women, gay, straight. You know, using various toys to have sex with and, you know, dildos and chains and just everything you can imagine. I mean, there would be amazing spreads of, like, caviar and, you know, all all kinds of exotic food. Um, And there would be, you know, people snorting cocaine. And also on the menu, that heroin she brought. Ironically, the person who I got the drugs for, he almost OD'd on the heroin. 
that night. That you got from Billy. That I got from Billy, and he got very, very sick. And then I came back to the United States. So, she says, she took the drugs back to Billy. I knew he needed money, and uh, I basically gave him the heroin back. And as payment, you know, for whatever he was working on with me, which I think in retrospect was a huge mistake. A mistake, Natasha thinks, might have cost Billy his life. Something went wrong with whoever he was exchanging the dope with, because I actually saw him afterwards. And I remember coming downstairs, and he was just very frantic, and he was mad at me for some reason. And he had a gun. And he was waving the gun around down in the basement, and he was really strung out, and he was very nervous and very neurotic. He was very paranoid because he was afraid. Something had gone wrong. And he said there's a dead rat under the piano, uh, or there's going to be a dead rat under the piano. I got the impression that he, that he had possibly killed somebody. And he was, like, dead within a week. Natasha thought that somebody might have ratted Billy out, so he killed them, which had something to do with why he died. Did you hear anything about who killed him or what happened? Yeah, I was told um, that Rebecca had come home and um, the place was flagged off with police tape, and then she wasn't allowed in. And I had heard that an undercover cop had um, been in the house. But the undercover cop was there to investigate, you know, the murder, and basically said, you know, you know, I'm, I'm here, like, where is the body, or, you know, or something like that. Uh, the story was that he went to go get a gun, and the guy, undercover cop, pulled a gun out and shot him. I really don't know the answer to it, but I, I, I know that he was not completely innocent. S something had to have happened. So was Billy shot by the cops because he had killed someone? Coming up, a completely different theory from one of Billy's best friends. That's after the break. Talk to me for a second. Okay, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Hello, Mr. Crom. Hello. Hey, Cheetah, it's Io. How are you? Good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm here with my... This is Cheetah Chrome. He was the guitarist for the Dead Boys, an important early punk band. Him and Billy were close. You know, Billy, you know, he was like one of my best friends back then. I love the guy. They had their own band together. And Cheetah says Billy did things his way. At some point, he acquired a white baby grand piano. <laughs> and he decided he wanted to use it as CBGBs. And... <laughs> So we all ended up 
getting a fucking grand piano onto a dolly and walking it down to see the Jeebies from his place. And oh my God, it was hilarious. Because I mean, it was literally four guys like pushing the piano on a dolly down Third Avenue. And I mean, did it but make it a difference? Was it, did it, could it, did it? Yeah, sound? of course it made a difference. It sounded great. Billy balls on keyboards. All right, sticks on drums, cheetah chrome on guitar. Testable. The music industry casualty. You know, it was great. It was a great, you know, thing experience to have. And Billy was, uh, you know, really talented. But, you know, we didn't do that many shows. You know, Billy, I don't know if maybe he was afraid of making it or if he just was, you know, at stage fright or didn't like playing live. You know, plus he was, you know, subsidizing like his band was, you know, selling pills and shit on the side, you know. This isn't the first time we've heard that Billy might have been dealing drugs. But I'm hoping Cheetah can shed some more light on it. What can you tell us a little more about that? Well, yeah, I mean, he just had a, a good supply of pretty much, you know, twinalls and reds and things like that. You know, harder stuff if you wanted it. Mm. Um, I wouldn't call him a real drug dealer. I mean, the only customers he had were like his friends, the guys he played with. You know, and. He says that the drug Billy liked to take the most was speed. In particular, a prescription drug called desoxin. Desoxin, which is like a pure speed, really good pure speed pill. Like one, one of those, if you have 24 hours to shot it, you know? Billy was, you know, into pretty much everything like that, you know, back then we all were. It wasn't like unusual at all. It wasn't like he was a, any any criminal element or anything. He was just like a normal... We all did that shit, you know? Around that time, I was on a steady diet of heroin and cocaine. You know, you'd go in a recording studio and just do blow until you were done and do heroin to come down, you know? Can you tell me about the day that you found out Billy was shot? It used to be like I went down to see your mom. And um, obviously she was extremely upset. Because it was just unbelievable. I mean, we were all in shock. I mean, it wasn't like, a, oh, we saw this coming or anything like that. We weren't. And, you know, it was just all of a sudden out of nowhere. You know, one of our best friends was all of a sudden murdered and dead. <laughs> you know? Do you have any theories on why that might have happened? Billy did have a couple of guns, and supposedly uh, he had sold a gun to somebody, and the gun had been used to shoot a cop. Oh. So they, when they found out where he got the gun, but where the guy got the gun from, there was like a kind of a revenge thing going on where they went in there and with the intentions of what happened happening. So Cheetah suspects that Billy sold a gun that someone then used to shoot a cop. And that's why the cops targeted Billy. And there's, a, you know, they claimed that he went for a gun. I don't know. I was not there. I don't know what happened. But Billy did take a lot of speed. He uh, could get pretty, you know, whacked out there sometimes tweaking on it. Starts 
hallucinating and thinking the government's after you, you know, shit like that. But I don't see him going for a gun against any cops, you know? It was a revenge thing from the cops. So we've heard from Natasha that Billy may have killed someone. And we've heard from Cheetah Chrome that Billy may have sold a gun that was used to kill someone else. Yo, Ma. My friend. Hi, Mama. Hey, hi. Hi. So we went back to my mom to ask what was happening with guns in their home. I slept at one point with the little Colt Pearl Handle 22 under my pillow, which she gave to me, because I needed it. You, you needed it, you know, to, for protection. Where was the 22 on the day that the... Long cop- gone. Long gone. There was no guns in the apartment. My mom says that Billy did have guns for protection, but that he'd gotten rid of them just before he was shot because he felt like something bad was coming. He sold everything. He was preparing for us to move because it was the vibe. He had a feeling, I mean, he's a sensitive person, you know, he knows, you know, the word on the street and all that. And then he says, baby girl, I'm gonna get in the wind. Could this be because of the rat flipping on him or because of the gun he sold to a cop killer coming back to haunt him? Something big had to be going down. He wanted to get in the wind, quote unquote, and move. Like things were really changing and in our immediate world, shit was hitting the fan for him in some kind of way which he would never tell me anything that would be, like, if you don't know, it won't hurt you kind of thing, you know? What I don't understand is why, and I'm not, not in any kind of suspicious way, but what I'm really trying to understand and get to the bottom of is, Mm -hmm. what was the motivation for the guy to shoot him. Why did they want to kill him? That's what I don't have any idea. And that's, I don't know, I I don't know. You know, you're asking me to add words. I'm not adding words because there's no words to be added. I am the only orator of the words. So you got to respect that. After we leave, I start to ask myself a bigger question. I have to say there's a little part of me now that I'm discovering that maybe Billy wasn't such a good guy, that a little part of me is like, why are you doing this to your mom? But at the same time, she's in so much pain and has been for 35 years. Do you think that you know, if Billy was not a great guy, giving her the truth will help her? I don't know. I love my mom a lot. But I know that people construct 
fragile mental houses for themselves to live in that can be built with toothpicks that keep them alive and make life survivable and make pain and loss manageable. And I wonder if I am stronger in the sense that I can handle the truth about people and about things. And I don't want to burn her toothpick house down by being bullheaded and wanting the truth. But the truth is, I do want the truth. I mean, if we're making shit up based on no evidence, we can make up any shit we want, and it's all consistent with the no evidence that we have. There are answers that are attainable. There are files out there that at least give the police and witness narrative of what they claim happened. That's in two weeks, in the next chapter of The Ballad of Billy Balls. Crimetown is Zach Stewart Pontier and Mark Smerling. The Ballad of Billy Balls is hosted by me, Io Tillett Wright, and made in partnership with Cadence 13. You can find me on the internet. I'm Io Loves You on Everything. And if you want to know more about my story, you can pick up my memoir, Darling Days. We also want to hear from you. We have a voicemail set up for you to call us. Here's Dom from California. I just uh, want to say that this podcast is making me feel all kinds of stuff. Specifically about my friend Gregory, who seemed to have a, a kind of a death wish like Billy did. Um, just a really wild soul, an amazing soul who uh, got taken too young. And I think of Billy and Gregory are somewhere special together. I hope Billy and Gregory are tearing up the afterlife if there is one. If there's somebody Billy reminds you of, or you have a theory on what could have happened, call us and leave us a voicemail at 570-392-9660. You can also get into our discussion forum on our website, theballadofbillyballs.com. The show is produced by me, Kevin Shepard, and Ryan Swikert. Our senior producer is the inimitable Austin Mitchell. Editing by Zach Stewart-Pontier and Mark Smerling. Fact-checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed and sound designed by Kenny Kusiak. Music by Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Dark Allies by Light Asylum. Archival research by Brennan Reese. Special thanks to Daniela Araya, Rachel Lee Wright, Emily Wiedemann, those are our girlfriends and wives, Green Card Pictures, Alessandro Santoro, Bill Clegg, Ben Davis, Orrin Rosenbaum, and the team at Cadence 13. And of course, my mom, without whom none of this would be possible. <laughs> <laughs>